Well, that's a real brief overview of what it is we do at Union Gospel Mission. Um, we're the hands and feet in the inner city for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it's a very dark neighborhood. I want to share this morning, that was a brief overview of the mission, and uh, I want to share with you uh, my testimony this morning and just how miraculous our Lord is. Uh, I have the privilege of ministering in the heart of uh, a four-block radius of the North End that probably is the toughest area in the city of Winnipeg. If there were 30 murders in Winnipeg last year, 25 of them happened in this four-block radius of where Family Life Center is. And the Lord, before the foundation of time, chose me for a season of ministering there. And uh, I take it very serious, and I consider it an honor and a privilege. Uh, I am a a, a Métis individual, and uh, I used to be part of the problem of the inner city, of the North End, and uh, now I'm trying to be part of the solution. And I'm very bold uh, about sharing the gospel to anybody who will listen. I actually go into crack houses and uh, share the gospel. Uh, I, I'm on the streets almost every day sharing the gospel to anybody who listened and to those who are even not interested. I used to say that I was a recovering addict, but that's not true at all because when I received Jesus Christ in my heart as Lord and Savior, I was recovered. You know, everybody's got a testimony. Um, some are a little more dramatic, and uh, I believe mine to be one of those that's just a little more dramatic. You know, there's not a drug that I haven't abused. Um, I started smoking marijuana at a very young age, uh, about 12 years old, and it just slowly progressed um, from marijuana to hash to cocaine, crack cocaine, heroin, um, all kinds of prescription pills, basically anything that would get me high. And in the uh, latter days of my uh, drug abuse, um, I was uh, addicted to uh, uh, probably, I believe, the nastiest drug of them all, crystal meth. And I'm not sure what you folks know about crystal meth, but it is an evil drug. As I say, I've uh, abused them all, and this drug has to be by far the most evil. I grew up in a home that didn't know anything about Jesus. There was talk of God, but this God that I was told about, I didn't want anything to do with. Um, It didn't matter what I could say or what I could do. um, I would never be good enough. So I just tried living life my way. And uh, I uh, never really achieved much trying to live life my way. You know, in the book of Joel 2.25, Scripture tells us that the Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And uh, the locusts in in my life were drug abuse, gang affiliation, um, and everything that goes along with drug abuse and and, and gang life. Um, There was a cycle that I seemed to have. I, I was in and out of jail frequently, and it seemed that every time I got out of jail, I would go home. I married at a very young age. I'm still married. 33 years of marriage this coming April. Three grown boys, 27, 25, and 24. Um, but it, it seemed that uh, a very loving wife, and uh, you'll see just how uh, marvelous God is and how lucky and how blessed I am to be with this woman to this day. 
It seemed that every time I got out of jail, um, I would go home to the wife and say, you know, we need a fresh start. Um, why, don't we, why don't we move? And so we lived a real nomadic life. We lived in, in uh, eastern parts of Manitoba. We lived in western parts of Manitoba. We lived in northern parts of Manitoba. I mean, we were just all over the place. And uh, <clears throat> one time I, I got out of jail, went home and said, we need a move. And my wife was born and raised in the town of Nipawa. And there was an opportunity for me to work, um, to gain employment with Spring Hill Farms at the time. And so I, I took that opportunity. And, and uh, well, lo and behold, we were there for a few years. And when I got out of jail, I, I went home and said, you know, hon, I think we need a fresh start. We need to move. Um, you see the cycle here. And uh, this time, well, we really made the move. We moved to British Columbia. Uh, I had an, a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, who uh, was living in the West Coast and uh, offered me an opportunity to gain employment with a firm called London Drugs, and I uh, took that uh, absolutely. So off we went. We moved to British Columbia. You know, the grass really isn't greener on the other side. Um, just a little more water, I think. But uh, anyway... Things were going along somewhat relatively well. I always worked for the weekend, partied hard, and uh, in the early or mid-80s, I was making some pretty good money, and I worked my way up into a supervisor position and eventually became a manager, and one night I was sitting in my office, and uh, I was going through the want ads for whatever reason, and I came across uh, a classified, I was reading through the classifieds, and I came through an opportunity. There was, a, where, there was a, a, a firm looking for a warehouse supervisor. And uh, for whatever reason, I filled out this resume, and I fired it off, not thinking that I would ever get an opportunity with this particular position. And uh, lo and behold, I got a phone call, a human resources manager asking me to come in for an interview. Well, I was quite comfortable, and I didn't want to leave the job that I had. I had worked very hard, and I was making some decent money, so my philosophy was, if it ain't broke, why fix it? So I, I turned down this job. They actually offered it to me. Well, several times this individual phoned me, and uh, uh, one more time he phoned me. It was at the beginning of a new year, and I, and I knew if I went to see him what the question would be. The question was going to be, you know, what's it going to take for you to come and work for us? Well, sure enough, I got that phone call, and uh, Ken Parker said, Gilbert, why don't you come down and see us? And I said, well, okay, I'll come down. And uh, I was thinking, how am I going to get this guy off my back? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get there, and when he says, what's it going to take? I'm going to throw out this astronomical number, and he's going to laugh at me and send me on my way. Sure enough, I gets down there, and, and Ken looks at me and says, you know, we, just, we really would like for you to be employed with us. What's it going to take, Gilbert? So I kind of looked at him and threw out this number, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> and he says, great, when can you start? Oh, my goodness, wow. I, I was just beside myself. I couldn't believe it. It was a small organization. Some of you may have heard of it. It's called Coca-Cola Bottling. I worked, uh, I was a warehouse manager, not supervisor, excuse me, and uh, things were going along. As, as, as usual in Gilbert's life, working hard, uh, I worked the afternoons and graveyard shift, never worked a day shift, and always worked for the weekend. And once the weekend came, party hardy, right? I would drink and I would smoke marijuana, and, and at this point in my life, I wasn't doing too many hard drugs. And uh, anyways, a couple of years into this position, 
an opportunity came about for me to be transferred back home to Winnipeg. They were looking for a manager in Winnipeg, and uh, the operations manager asked me if I'd be interested in moving back. So going home, speaking to my wife, and, uh, and asking her, what do you think? And she said, absolutely, let's go home. So we got this free move home. We were put up in a, in a penthouse suite at the Crown Plaza Inn until we were able to find a home to buy, and, and things were going on as usual. <clears throat> well, the thing with making big money comes big responsibilities. And uh, it seemed that I was working 12, 14-hour days, and, and I was just always there. And uh, um, it became very stressful. But I always had a rule that I would never mix business and pleasure together. Um, I had my work life and my party life, and I would, never, I would never combine the two until one evening. An employee came up to me and asked me, he said, you know, you're looking kind of stressed there, Gilbert. Uh, why don't you come to a party? And against my better judgment, I said, okay. Well, I went to this party. I opened up the doors of this particular clubhouse, and I couldn't believe it. There was tables set up everywhere, and on each table... There were mounds of drugs. There was alcohol everywhere. There was drugs everywhere. Cocaine everywhere. Well, folks, I'm not the, uh, the brightest bulb in the block or the sharpest knife in the drawer. I, uh, I dove in like a dirty shirt. I have this party atmosphere to me. I was always the happy-go-lucky kind of guy, and, and I dove right in there. Um, I just want to make one thing perfectly clear here. I mean, nobody twisted my arm. Nobody had a gun to my head. Nobody forced me. Whatever I did, I did by choice. Well, I went that one night, and I kept going back night after night after night after night. And uh, these individuals have a way of lying, manipulating, making you feel like family. I was feeling comfortable with my newfound friends, um, sad thing was is they weren't my friends at all. Uh, organized crime is a better word for it. They drove motorcycles, had black leather vests, patches on their back claiming to be angels, not from heaven. And uh, in a blink of an eye, that quickly, I had a cocaine habit of $300 a day. Folks, you don't wake up one morning and go, today's a good day to ruin my life. But it happens that quickly. In the blink of an eye, $300 a day. It got to the point where I was actually going to work, closing my office door, closing the blinds, putting cocaine on my office table, and snorting away. Now, this can only go on for so long. I was responsible for about 40 individuals. So trying to manage being high, trying to manage a warehouse, was very difficult. And it was getting even more stressful. And of course, with $300 a day, that takes a big drain on your finances. Make a long story short, um, I'm very transparent because I never want to have an opportunity of anybody ever coming up to me and go, aha. You think you're, what, what about this in your life? So I'm very transparent. I'm not proud. But my bank account became empty. The mortgage wasn't being paid. And uh, these newfound friends of mine gave me an opportunity to uh, 
continued doing the amount of drugs that I was doing. Make a long story short, I started stealing from my employer. I started stealing from my employer to feed my habit. My wife at this time was oblivious, did not know what was going on. Um, she knew that something was up because creditors started calling. But I had a way of telling her and convincing her that everything was okay, it was just a glitch, I mean, we're just going through some rough times. Uh, whatever it was, I can't remember the lies that I told her to make her feel good. This went on, and uh, the guilt and the shame just became overbearing. And folks, when you're in deep with the type of individuals that I was in, you just don't walk up to them one day and go, I don't want to play anymore. That's how you become a statistic. That's how you end up at the bottom of the Red River. I didn't know what to do. I was in thick. I had to come up with some kind of idea of how I could walk away and still maintain my life. I came up with a plan. I went to my my uh, direct to the director of warehousing and I told them that uh, somebody was stealing from the company, that there was shrinkage happening. I had a way of covering things up and I told them that we needed to get to the bottom of this knowing very well I was the thief. Well, Coca-Cola doesn't mess around. They sent, an, uh, they sent from Atlanta, Georgia, an investigation team, set up cameras, set up men in strategic places because they were going to catch this thief. And lo and behold, I knew what was going on. I took a deep breath one Sunday evening. I walked into that place. I drove my vehicle in the door and started loading up the vehicle, and off I went. I didn't go to the normal destination that I normally went to. But at the moment I stopped, I was surrounded by Winnipeg's finest and the investigation team, and needless to say, my career with Coca-Cola bottling ended up very abruptly. Now, what happened here was I was able to walk away from organized crime because when I went down, I did not tell them why I was stealing. I told them that I was stealing to support my cocaine habit, but I didn't tell them who I was giving the product to. So now that my usefulness had run out with these newfound friends of mine, they wanted no part of me. So I was able to walk away. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? You would think, boy, can't get much lower than that. That was just the beginning. Life went further down. I managed to stay out of jail this time. I went on home arrest, house arrest. And uh, what a joke, what a farce this house arrest is. Um, One of the conditions of the house arrest was you had to maintain a landline so people could phone you to make sure that you're at home. Well, one of the very first things that I did was disconnected my phone. So now I had the freedom to come and go as I pleased. And this is where my criminal life really took off. But I found out very quickly that I'm not a very good entrepreneur. um, Because I thought, you know what, I needed some money and who's going to hire a thief? Um, So I decided that I was going to start selling drugs. That's what I was going to do. Yeah, yeah. Right? Not much of a salesman because you can't do the product that you're trying to sell. That was just even more of a mess. Well, I managed to get my way out of that mess, and on my last delivery of my so-called drug-dealing days, I went to a home in the inner city on Mountain Avenue, and uh, it was through this time that I was abusing all these different drugs, from heroin um, to Special K. I, I mean, anything that I can get my hands on to get high, I was using. And I remember walking into this house, making my final delivery, and uh, this was the evening that I was introduced to crystal meth. They were smoking a pipe that I had never seen before. 
Everybody seemed to be happy. There was no arguing. There was no fighting. There was lots of weirdness going on as far as bizarre conversation. Um, and the reason for that is the main ingredient in crystal meth is pseudoephedrine. And what this does, what this is, it is a drug that keeps you awake. It suppresses your appetite. There was a point at one time when I was doing this drug, I was awake for seven straight days. Now, I'm not, not uh, seven straight days. This is not a nap here and there. I was awake for seven straight days. During those days, I had very little to eat, a couple pieces of bread, a couple glasses of water. So you can just imagine what happens when you're not eating or drinking. I mean, rapid loss of weight. Um, I know I'm pretty healthy looking these days, but in the latter days of my crystal meth use, I was down to 145 pounds. And of course, with not eating, not sleeping, what eventually happens is hallucinations. Hallucinations. And uh, I was no exception to this. The hallucinations came, and they were insane, and they were crazy. I started seeing shadow people. I started seeing evil spirits. I started seeing little people conspiring in trees to take over the world. I thought the neighborhood cat... Get ready for this, folks. I thought the neighborhood cat was a trained narcotics officer. Yes. Yes. And then it got even crazier because I began to see aliens. I began to see spaceships following me. But only I could see them. Only I had that special ability to see them because I was special. I was special, all right. (laughs) The insanity. And see what happens after prolonged usage of this drug. It starts, I don't even know if this is the proper way to explain it, but the way I explain it is it starts to recrystallize and starts coming through the pores of your skin. And it starts looking like little black dots. This crystal meth is coming out through your skin. And in the insanity of it all, I thought that the aliens infected me with a parasite. I thought the aliens had infected me with a bug. So there was alien bugs in me. Well, there was only one thing I could do, was remove them. In the drug world, I was known as a picker. I would pick the flesh off my body. To this day, I have scars, my face, my backside, my arms, my legs. I was a picker. I would pick and pick and pick. One evening, I was in my bathroom, picking, my wife oblivious to what was going on, somehow managed to gain entrance into the room, into the bathroom, and she was horrified at what she saw. I was standing there, buck naked, picking, dripping blood. Literally, there was blood all over the floor. She was horrified. She didn't know what to do. She phoned family members to get me out of the house, remove me. I had to go. So I loved you. I still love you. I always will love you, but you got to go. Being a Métis individual, my, wife, my sister was working for the Métis Federation. And I was homeless. I was on the street. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. But I continued to get high. My sister came up with an opportunity for me to gain employment, not employment, get into a program through the Federation where they would put me through a carpentry course 
And after graduation of this course, helped me find a job and, and, and put a roof over my head. They would put me up in a hotel downtown, give me three square meals a day, put me through school, and then help me find a job. Sounds like a pretty good thing, doesn't it? Well, remember I told you I'm not so smart? Because I blew that one too, because I wouldn't stop doing the drugs. You can't work with table saws and band saws and continuously look over your shoulder for the aliens. Well, one day, for whatever reason, we always went to school with a bagged lunch. And we always stayed at school for the lunchtime and we ate our lunch. But one day, I wanted to go back to the hotel for a warm lunch. I wanted a hot meal. And I was walking down Ellis Avenue in, in Winnipeg. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ellis Avenue or not, but it's a four-lane street. And I was walking west, going back towards the Quest Hotel where I was staying. And at the corner of my eye, I could see a taxi driver. There was a taxi cab. The window was down, and the man was obviously looking for somebody. And sure enough, he veered off to the curb lane, looked at me, and said, Get in. And what? He says, Get in. I said, Well, I've got no money. He says, Get in. I got into this cab. And immediately when I sat in the front seat with this gentleman, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, the hairs on my arm stood up, and, and I was terrified because there was something very peculiar about this gentleman. He was, to this day, the largest man that I've ever seen in my entire life. And folks, I've partied with many large men. This guy was a mountain of a man. He was huge. He took up half that front seat. But there was something about him. He had this set of pearly whites on him. He had these, this smile that was infectious. He had this smile that was about this big. I would almost think he was glowing. And as we proceeded on, he looked at me and said, just the start of things. And I said, what? He says, just the start of things. Just the start of things. I had no idea what he was talking about. So I looked at him and said, yeah. Well, we roll into the driveway of the parking lot of the hotel. And I'm about to get out of the vehicle. I had my bag lunch with me. And I figured at least I could do is offer this gentleman my lunch. Well, I offered him. I said, would you like the lunch? And boy, you thought that smile was big when I first got in the car. You should have seen it now. He was thankful. He was happy. He was smiling. I'm thinking, relax, man. It's baloney. Right? Oh, he was happy. As I'm getting out of the vehicle, as I'm getting out of the vehicle, this paw grabs me by the shoulder and spins me around and looks at me with this look and says, do the right thing, brother. Jesus loves you. Huh? How could Jesus love a sinner like me? Wow. I walked through the front doors of the hotel. I was about to press the button to the elevator and I stopped because it hit me like a rock. I never told this gentleman where I was going. How did he know where I was going. There was very little conversation, folks. Just the start of things. The comment about Jesus. That was it. How did he know? Well, this day, people, I tell this story many times, and I truly believe I was in the cab with an angel of the Lord that day because just the start of things, yes, it was. I went up to my room, not knowing any better, but knowing what I did, what I did best was I went up and I got high. Oh, yes, as I was smoking that pipe and contemplating Jesus loved me, how could he? And, um, well, I was kicked out of school the very next day. I was removed from the hotel because they found out about the drug use. Now I was literally on the street again. 
I called home to my loving wife, crying like a baby, telling her how I messed up this wonderful opportunity too. Everything I touch turns to dust. Everything I touch ruins. I'm just a failure. I'm a loser. I don't know what to do. And she stopped me very abruptly and said, stop whining. You know what you need to do. You need to come home and be the man that I know that you can be. And I went, what? You'll allow me to come home? She said, yes, I'll allow you to come home. However, there was a list of conditions about this long. Whoa, I mean, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And we were living in the heart of the North End. All I had to do was open up the front door and yell, who's got drugs? And drugs could have been delivered there in 30 seconds or less. But I was very happy to be home. I was very gracious to be home. And I was staying clean. I found this little church just up the road because I started reading this word. And the more I started reading this word, the thirstier I got for this word. The more I read about God, the thirstier I got for God. Well, I guess Satan didn't like what he saw because I was staying clean. But there came an evening when the drug urges came. And they came hard and they came fast and they came furious. As a matter of fact, I had the telephone in my hand. I was about to call and make that phone call to have drugs delivered to my door. And I threw the phone against the wall. I got down on my knees and looked to the heavens. And I remember it very vividly, folks. I was shouting to the heavens saying, if there's a God. If there's a God up there, you need to do something. And you need to do something now because I'm going to make that call. I'm going to make that call. And while I'm complaining and whining and shouting up to the Lord, there's a knock on the front door. I had to run downstairs to answer the door. I answered the door, opened it up, and there's a gentleman standing there. And he says, Gilbert? And I said, yes. He says, you remember me? I said, no. He says, Officer Cal. That's not the help I wanted. Oh, my goodness. But he's holding a book. He says, you know, in the 25 years of of, of service, he says, you don't remember me? I said, no. He says, I arrested you a few months back, and you're in the back seat of my cruiser car, a raving lunatic, shouting up things to God, asking why God doesn't love you, how, all kinds of weird things. He says, in the 25 years of being a police officer, never once have I ever researched and dug up where somebody that I had arrested lived and went to pay them a visit to find out how they're doing. He says, I don't know why I'm here. And I said, you don't. And he says, oh, by the way, I come with a gift. I said, you come with a gift? He says, yes. And he hands me this New Testament Bible entitled, How to Find God for Those Who Thirst. I immediately begin to weep. And I say, you don't know why you're here? Let me tell you why. Come on in, brother. His name, he used his name as an alias, he called himself Officer Cow. His actual name is Dale Koloski, and he heads up the Winnipeg Crime Division in Winnipeg these days. And to this day, we are very dear friends. To this day, the recovered drug addict and the police officer encourage each other. To this day, it was Cow. It was Officer Dale Koloski who told me about the possible relationship with Jesus Christ. One evening... I'm not sure as to what time it was. It was early hours in the morning. My wife was off visiting her mother in Nipawa, Manitoba, and I was alone at home sleeping in my bed. It was in the middle of the night, and I was awoken to what felt like a punch to the chest. It was very real. And I sat up in my bed, and I could hear this inner voice very quietly saying, Which way are you going, brother? I'm thinking, Which way am I going? We had two windows, one on the east, one on the west. One window always was 
a little dark. The other one always had a little bit of light. But this particular morning, what time it was, I don't know. The window that was normally a little dark was black as night. It was pitch black. And the window that had a little bit of sunlight was like noonday sun. Well, being the big tough guy that I am, I thought, whoa, I'm just going to cover the, I'm going to go back to bed, put the covers over my head and hope everything goes away. No. Again, it felt like a punch to the chest. I sat up and again, I heard that voice, which way are you going? And I looked and I knew what I had to do. There was no questions about it. I got out of my bed, got on my knees and looked to that light and I looked to the heavens and I asked for forgiveness and I repented and I invited Jesus Christ into my heart as Lord and Savior. And after I did that, I was weeping like a baby and I thought, my goodness, things just came back to me. That cab driver, just the start of things, it truly was. That was eight years ago, folks. I could sit here and talk until Tuesday about what the Lord has done through me and what the Lord is doing through Union Gospel Mission. Because it is nothing short of a miracle. And people that say that God doesn't do miracles anymore, they need to come and have a coffee with me because I'll show them miracles that are happening in the inner city of Winnipeg every day. We just don't recognize them. We call them coincidences. We call them hmms. But they are miracles of God, and God is still working. And God is alive and well. And the things that we do at Union Gospel Mission, we are unable to do without you folks. We need your financial support. We need your prayers. We need you to be the hands and feet for Jesus Christ in a very dark city. If you're ever in Winnipeg, I encourage you, please, come and have a visit at 240 Pritchard Avenue, and I would gladly love to sit and share with you what the Lord is doing. How your prayer... You know, there's times when the tough gets going... And I I start feeling that pity party, and I go, Lord, why do we do this? I can feel, I can literally feel people praying for us. Your prayers help. Your prayers work. We can feel it, and it is discouraging at times. The Lord has blessed me with the courage to go to places that most people lock their doors as they're driving by. But if individuals from UGM are not going to share the gospel with the least, the lost, and the last, who's going to? Who's going to? I remember, I often read Acts 8 when Philip runs into that eunuch. And Philip asks the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I if there's nobody there to guide me? Union Gospel Mission is there to guide. Union Gospel Mission tries to be a beacon of light in a very dark place. And we can't do it without you. I thank you so much, folks, for allowing me to share this morning. I know I've taken up a little more than time than I should have, but as I say, I could stand here and talk till Tuesday. I thank you, and allow me to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us in spite of who we are. Father, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to come and share with my brothers and sisters here in Killarney the wonderful works that you are doing in the heart of the city through Union Gospel Mission. Father, I I thank you for everything. Uh, We surrender all to you, Father, and whatever happened in the past is the past. I ask today, how can we serve you today? How can we be your hands and feet in the inner city today, Father? Show us, guide us, lead us, protect us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And I thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters here in Killarney and bless them abundantly. 
We surrender all and we pray for all things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much.